Hi, this is David White, and it's another edition of ASN Neff Watch. Today we are being joined by Dr. Ray Bignall and Dr. Alejandro Diaz. They are both with The Ohio State University. They both advocate for their patients with chronic kidney diseases, and also at the same time, they are very, very dedicated advocates for communities of color and minority communities. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Okay. Let's go ahead and tell each other, uh, tell the listeners uh, who you are and kind of what brought you into nephrology and advocacy a little bit. Sounds great. I can go ahead and start. Um, uh, so, um, again, I'm uh, Ray Bignall. I'm a, a pediatric nephrologist here at Nationwide Children's Hospital and the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Um, I became a nephrologist completely by surprise. <laughs> I... Um, really fell in love with nephrology as a result of some particularly key mentorship relationships that I developed uh, while a resident at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. I was attracted to nephrology not only because I enjoyed the chemistry and physics uh, and physiology involved in the specialty, uh, but particularly because I, as an African-American pediatrician, saw so many of my uh, patients uh, reflecting the community that I'm a part of. Uh, and it really inspired me to uh, want to join this terrific specialty uh, where I could really make an impact uh, in the lives of members of that community and children uh, who are uh, from communities of color. Uh, so really, advocacy and nephrology uh, go so hand in hand, and uh, I was really excited to pursue opportunities there. Dr. Diaz, how about you? Thank you, uh, David. So much, much like uh, Ray, um, Dr. Bignall, uh, my my uh, um, path into nephrology was was not uh, uh, sort of something that I, I set out to do from day one. Uh, the great thing about nephrology is that uh, it's really, I think, it's the the, the most uh, um, erudite of all the subspecialties within internal medicine. I always enjoyed how things work, and 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 not just how, but why. Um, I think that's what led me from internal medicine into nephrology. Now, when I was a, a, a resident in internal medicine, um, I trained in Detroit. I was at Wayne State University, which is sort of what really got my eyes open to uh, minority health issues as a clinician. Um, and then later on, after I became a nephrology fellow, um, I really enjoyed uh, transplantation. I really enjoyed the immunology of the field. Um, my undergraduate major was in molecular genetics, so it was sort of a full circle um, in terms of the sciences, hand in hand with that um, was the patient care. Um, one of the great things about a specialty as ours is that you're, it's very erudite. It's very uh, subspecialized, very narrow, but at the same time, you have this amazing opportunity to care for patients and to work with individuals. From the, on the one hand, you have the scientific aspects. On the other hand, you have the patient contact, and, and you get to learn your patients. You get to to know about them as folks, and then you get to understand what they're going through and and uh, their uh, individual experiences, and that just uh, uh, drives you to combine both. And this was a uh, a great opportunity uh, through ASN. It's allowed me to um, uh, marry sort of my interests, my my scientific interests, with my um, interest in helping others. And you're both currently serving with the ASN Policy and Advocacy Committee, correct? That's right. Yes. And my understanding is is that recently uh, you were visiting here with us in Washington, and you went to have meetings with the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. What are some of the you know what are some of the distinct parts of your mission in that conversation? What were you trying to impart to them? 
Dr. Diaz, how about you first? David, I think that um, let me just uh, start from the preface that everyone, everyone we met in D.C. Uh, wants what's best for um, their constituents. And I think that what's what's uh, particular about um, visiting with the Hispanic uh, and, and black caucuses is that they know um, the plight of minorities quite well. The difference is that as clinicians, we are the front line to our patients. Um, we know what they go through in terms of, of uh, barriers to accessing care. Uh, the barriers are in terms of providing uh, appropriate uh, therapeutics for our patients. And I think that's the piece that's missing with uh, um, the non-medical community. I think that us being sort of the megaphone of our, our patients' um, plight um, is really something that I valued and something that was high impact. Um, and being able to sort of um, coordinate um, with uh, uh, the caucuses, um, have given the, the optic from the medical field is something that was unparalleled. Dr. Bignall, and what were your experiences there? And I, what, tell us a little bit about what you wanted to deliver as a message. Yeah, so I completely agree with uh, Dr. Diaz. I mean, I think... Um, especially as a pediatric nephrologist and sort of the pediatric representative on the ASN Policy and Advocacy Committee, uh, one of the things that I wanted to help emphasize in our meetings with lawmakers uh, was that this is not just a problem uh, for adults, uh, but that health disparities in kidney disease, and in particular in kidney transplant, where I have a special interest, um, that that's a problem for children too. Uh, so, you know, um, the ASN uh, audience will appreciate that since the start of the uh, SHARE 35 um, organ allocation era, overall pediatric access to kidney transplant has actually gotten better. Uh, and that's good news. Uh, we're proud of that. Uh, but unfortunately, if you're a child of color in America, uh, better access for you does not mean better outcome. Uh, and that's not good. And uh, so one of the things that we really wanted to emphasize with, uh, with lawmakers uh, is that there are some pretty stark disparities, even for children uh, with pediatric end-stage renal disease. Uh, you know, Dr. Rachel Patzer, Dr. Sandra Amaral uh, are two um, uh, kidney researchers who have demonstrated that African-American and Hispanic children have uh, less access to living donor preemptive transplants. Um, black children have significantly higher rates of allograft failure. Um, and even uh, a, a young uh, nephrologist, uh, Dr. Marciana Laster, out on the West Coast at UCLA, has demonstrated that these disparities even reach back to before kids get transplants in the first place um, with dialysis mortality rates that are 70% higher for non-Hispanic, um, uh, for African-Americans rather than non-Hispanic white children. And uh, those same children have twice the odds of one-year dialysis mortality than their white counterparts. So, you know, I think when it comes to uh, health equity and transplantation, uh, nephrologists, uh, we might actually be falling a little short, and um, maybe we're not just falling short at the bedside when it comes to health equity, but we're also falling short at the curbside when it comes to community engagement, uh, engaging our lawmakers, and this visit was an opportunity for us to, uh, to address that, uh, to share our message uh, about how passionately we feel about not just communities of color, but all communities with kidney disease in this country. Uh, and try to propose some strategies to help address those uh, and make sure that we have the partnership of our lawmakers, uh, particularly in the Congressional Black and Congressional Hispanic Caucuses, uh, that we have their partnership 
in tackling kidney disease together. And Ray, let, let me just segue off of two things you just mentioned. Um, the uh, two pieces of uh, um, in particular that we're interested in, and myself personally as a transplanter, are looking at donor protections and um, the, the coverage for immunosuppressive medications after three years. And I think this really, um, what you just said, um, marriage, uh, marries the, um, the bedside with the curbside. As a transplanter, I've always lamented, um, how can I, what can I do to bring more folks to be living donors? The, the literature is very clear. Literature is unequivocal. And the fact that living donor uh, organs um, have much better outcomes than deceased donor organs. Problem becomes, um, how do we make sure that those donors that come forward to do something completely altruistic, something that, that, that they're putting themselves out there to help someone else, how do we make sure that those individuals don't get penalized in the process? How do we make sure that uh, someone who depends on, on a job doesn't get penalized for missing work because they need to go to the transplant center, to, they, they need a surgical procedure, they need recuperation, they need follow-up? How do we make sure that someone who has a successful transplant after being on dialysis for years then doesn't go back to um, dialysis because they can't afford their immune suppressive medications? Um, those are the things that, as clinicians, we often lament. And this, uh, the, the advocacy committee has provided an excellent opportunity for us not to just from beyond lamenting the fact that um, these things happen, to, but to actually do something about it. So um, again, it's, it's the medical background and talking to our patients and then doing something about it, not just lamenting the fact. Well, you two have definitely given us an idea of what it is that needs to be done and, and kind of some of the steps that might be taken. You've mentioned uh, living donors protections, which we are working on here at ASN, and you guys have been working very hard on for the Living Donor Protection Act. And you also are working on um, extending coverage of immunosuppressives uh, past the three-year mark after transplantation. Other other measures that you might see? Yeah, well, um, one thing that I'll point out, uh, an area uh, where I think we could um, dedicate some additional resources as a community, uh, as a nephrology and kidney research community, uh, is in the area of community engagement. Um, so I'll hold up as an example of this some of the work that's being done out of Johns Hopkins. Uh, Dr. Deidre Cruz, uh, who is a, um, uh adult nephrologist there at Hopkins, as well as Dr. Tangela Purnell, who's an epidemiologist and does uh, research, um, is a part of the solid organ transplant um, equity team. Uh, have actually published some really sobering data uh, that that emphasizes uh, what Dr. Diaz mentioned earlier uh, about living donation rates and showed that, in fact, amongst communities of color, uh, that the disparity uh, for living donation has actually worsened, not improved, over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, Dr. Diaz highlighted it, financial disincentives, uh, families are afraid of losing work, uh, but in addition, there is an undercurrent that um, that sort of underlies a lot of the issues that we see on the surface when it comes to health equity in kidney disease. And that undercurrent includes things like mistrust of the medical community uh, with communities within communities of color uh, and misinformation in the public square uh, about things like organ transplantation that sort of contribute, exacerbate, let's say, uh, this phenomenon. And I think we as nephrologists um, have an opportunity to move our research uh, bench side to bedside, as we often like to say, and then from bedside to curbside. Uh, how do we communicate these issues 
with the communities that are in greatest need. We need to be going to churches, synagogues, mosques. Uh, we need to be reaching people in community centers. Uh, we need to be partnering with legislatures. We need to be at block parties and uh, community events. Uh, we need to engage uh, uh, industry, pharma, even members of the celebrity community uh, who have been touched by kidney disease uh, so that people lose the stigma that surrounds kidney disease in our country. And uh, perhaps uh, that can aid all of our efforts um, as kidney disease clinicians and researchers to to try to address the disparities that we see. We look at the, the, the African-American and Latino communities and we, we think, okay, what are the root causes of unsafe renal disease? We have a higher, higher rate of diabetes. We have higher rates of obesity. We have higher rates of hypertension. These are, um, if we can address these early on, um, perhaps we can uh, affect the rates of chronic kidney disease. And unfortunately, the burden of chronic kidney disease, the burden of end-stage renal disease is not just um, to the individual. It affects um, their ability to work to be productive members of society. It affects um, the family unit. It affects quality of life. These are things that we can work on. So in terms of, of things that we can do within the policy committee, a um, couple different uh, um, ideas uh, being tossed around. What's it, the, one is the Health Equities and Accountability Act. And there's a, um, a chapter that specifically talks about workforce development. And not just, you know, how do we get more, more clinicians, but um, how do we get a culturally competent workforce? I think that's an amazing uh, directive. I think it's something that is, is well needed and will be well received. So certainly we as nephrologists should be uh, that megaphone that Dr. Diaz was talking about, uh, not only advocating for our patients in the clinic uh, space, but also advocating for them in the public as we promote the issues that are important uh, to us as kidney health professionals. Uh, but also, I think, uh, as we promote the candidates uh, and causes uh, that will help to advance care for our patients. I think that that's just as important. Um, so no, no free passes <laughs> uh, need be given. Um, but I think that there's a little bit that we can do ourselves in the sort of in the absence of uh, ongoing opportunities uh, in D.C. I think uh, not everyone is able to make it to uh, D.C. and some people can't even make it to their state capital. Uh, Dr. Diaz and I are fortunate that we are based in the capital and largest city in our state, uh, and so that gives us uh, some degree of connectivity uh, with change makers and lawmakers. Uh, but for those who are um, maybe in private practice, uh, those who are in small um, academic practices, um, particularly my pediatric nephrology colleagues around the country, I think there's sort of two groups uh, that we should be spending a little bit more time uh, engaging and uh, and addressing uh, two groups specifically. I think one of those groups is uh, urban communities of color, so African-American and Hispanic uh, communities that, by and large, uh, particularly outside of the southeastern United States, concentrate uh, themselves in large urban settings, and rural communities of need. I think particularly for myself and uh, Dr. Diaz here in, in central Ohio, uh, our catchment area stretches uh, deep into um, uh, southeastern Ohio, uh, rural communities and parts of, uh, of Appalachia where um, uh, many of our patients may travel for hours uh, to get care. Uh, many of them um, feel sometimes relatively disconnected from 
their nephrologist and the care that they receive. And so there's some really terrific opportunities for us to, you know, get in our cars, uh, go meet people where they are, uh, talk about uh, some of these important issues, um, uh, educate um, our communities uh, outside of the clinic, perhaps, uh, find opportunities to educate our communities uh, so that together we can um, be that voice uh, that patients can, can know and trust. Dr. Diaz, we're, I want to give you a chance to add to that because we're, we're beginning to run out of time for the day. I just want to uh, emphasize two points that uh, uh, Dr. Bignall brought forth, which is access to care and health literacy. Um, I think that, yes, um, we, we talk a lot about um, inner city uh, African-American Latino access to care, but I think Dr. Bignall brings an excellent point about our communities in Appalachia. Um, again, we, uh, uh, at my center, I see individuals from uh, rural West Virginia, rural Kentucky, um, and again, they have to travel for hours to um, get appropriate care. The, the health literacy of a lot of our patients is also quite low. These are areas that we can impact care ourselves. We don't have to wait for someone uh, to pass a law or to uh, um, or pass legislation to do this. I want to bring uh, something that uh, I, I Someone told me many, many years ago when I was uh, many, many years away from being a physician, which was, you know, the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. You should listen more than you talk. And we got to listen to our patients. We got to listen to their plight. And then we go ahead and we make things better for them. So, again, uh, um, health literacy, access to care, uh, someone that lives across a river just because it happens to be a different state should not be in should not have different care than the ones I offer in my own state. Um, these are issues which are inherent to our uh, um, uh, federal structure. Um, a lot of the, the, the payment systems are state-run. Um, these are things that we can work on from the advocacy standpoint and, and legislative standpoint, but us sitting down and talking to our patients, that just has no substitution. Well, let's, uh, let's take you know, heed from what you just told us. That's right, we all have two ears. So let's address our listeners here. Um, I know you've heard a lot of interesting things talked about. We've heard about a lot of different research, particularly the research um, out of Johns Hopkins. And uh, we'd love to be able to share anything that the listeners would like to hear more about. In order to do that, listeners can send an email to policy at asn-online.org. That's policy, all lowercase, P-O-L-I-C-Y, at asn online. Dot org. And if you can send us that message, I'm sure both Dr. Diaz and Dr. Bigna will be helpful and we'll be able to get together links and any other information you would like uh, to, if you would like to hear more about this. Thank you so much. Thank you for your visit to D.C. and the time you spent with both caucuses. I know you've been here before to work on issues and I know you will be here again. And we cannot thank you enough and uh, just hope listeners will become engaged and join you in this great battle and in putting their voice to the megaphone. Thank you. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to ASN Neff Watch. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drugs, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.